Well, how many excited to be at church today? Anybody? Anybody excited? Okay. Okay. I can't tell because you have masks on, so I don't know if you're smiling or frowning or I'm sure you're happy anyways. Um, last Sunday, if you were with us, we started a new message series titled, What's So Wonderful About the Cross? And so, um, you know, we're getting into it. You know, it's Lent and it's appropriate, right, for the church to kind of take a moment to reflect about this thing we call the cross. It's not just a thing. It's, it's the most powerful thing of which we are what, saved by, according to the Bible. And um, that's what makes this time uh, very important, right? Uh, that we just don't uh, skip over it and, and get on into the resurrection, right? Because we're so, like, the resurrection just kind of pumps us up, right? I mean, naturally, it would anybody. It's such a victorious uh, story of Jesus' victory over the cross, but yet the season of Lent causes us to pause and reflect a time in Jesus' ministry that wasn't so glorious and didn't visually come across as so victorious to most. Of course, we know something different. Um, you know, I want to be honest, I failed, I felt anyways a little bit, although thank you for everyone who came and encouraged me after service Sunday. I feel like I really failed in delivering the sermon the way that I had hoped to. And, um, you know, as pastors, you just got to like lick your wounds, kind of take some time because you could... It literally give up after a bad sermon. You just be like, what am I doing? Like, let's just let somebody else do it. But um, I went home and just was reflecting on, Lord, what, what was the deal? What, what, why did I feel like my own heart wasn't connecting to the sermon? And I, I felt like, you know, God in his kindness um, answered me with my question. <laughs> he said, because it's not, Daryl. It's not, it's not connected. And, and I, I felt a sense of grace and peace in that and, and actually the desire to want to discover more. And uh, in my discovery, I found that I am not the only one of Jesus' disciples to have this dilemma. Uh, so that's also very encouraging, right? And so if you are like me and you're like, hey, Daryl, where were you going with all that? Um, most likely, you're in the same position heart-wise that I am, and you may yourself lack a meaningful connection to the story of the cross. And that's okay. Um, it's all right. It's... Um, got to be honest, it's hard for me as a charismatic Christian to embrace kind of the weakness, right, and the humility of the cross. I, I prefer the more glorious things in Jesus's ministry. Now, hear me, like, you know, what I mean by glorious, I mean, it's all glorious. There's nothing, glo there's nothing not glorious about Christ, but, but I really do prefer those great epic stories of like, demoniacs being delivered, right, and, you know, dead people being raised. I, I, I can preach on that. You know, I can connect with that. But it's hard to connect with the humility and the weakness of Christ as well, because it does exist. It is there, and it is there for us to see. Amen? Amen. And so I, I scurried all over the scripture uh, throughout this week to just find some comfort and maybe find a disciple that was as thick-headed as I am sometimes, and I found one. And uh, his man, his name, not his man, but he is a man, his name is Peter. Uh, and I want you, if you have your Bibles, to turn to Mark chapter 8, because we're going to look at a, a brief story in 11 verses that I think, well, it's quite interesting. It's Mark chapter 8. We're going to pick up, well, we're not going to read the whole 11 verses. I'm going to summarize a little bit, and then we're going to pick up reading in verse 31. Is that okay? Everybody okay? You got your Bibles? Got your Bibles? Everybody got your Bibles? All right. Well... If we look at verses 22 through 26, and you can look at it on your own, we see that um, a blind man, his eyes were open, and 
as this happened, Jesus kind of just sent him on his way, almost like, hey, like, could you keep this under wraps? You know, like, just go home. Don't tell anybody. But this is a pretty epic uh, thing that, uh, that the disciples encounter. This is pretty um, grandiose, like, top ministry being done right here by the Messiah. He's opening a blind man's eyes. And as uh, he sends the, 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 now, the blind man who now can see off to his home, he tells him to keep his mouth shut, and he walks a little bit further to the next ministry destination that him and his disciples will arrive at. And in the journey to that next uh, place, he just pops the question to his disciples and say, hey, who do people say that I am? And then he gets a little bit more specific with the disciples, and he says, hey, hey who do you say I am? And they start scurrying for answers. They're like, hey, you know, some say you're John the Baptist, right? Some say you're the prophet Elijah, right? And then Peter has this epiphany. <laughs> He's like, you're the Christ. <laughs> and, and, and rightly spoken, Peter. And, and you got to try it. you got to somehow think that some of that sentiment from Peter is because he just witnessed Christ open the eyes of a blind man. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty epic, right? This is, this is Messiah level, son of God level stuff going on and of course, in verse 29, Peter proclaims rightly that Jesus is not John the Baptist, for he is greater. Peter is not Elijah. He is greater than the prophet. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. And again, Jesus tells them, hey, could you keep this under wrap? And then the story goes on, and he seems to break, meaning Jesus seems to sit his disciples down, and the conversation goes a little further, but it takes an interesting turn because Jesus is going to start talking plainly how many know that Jesus usually talked in parables? It, it confused a lot of people, and it was intentional because Jesus knew if people were confused, um, they would either come to him for clarification or just, this guy's a crazy man, you know? So it, it, it was like a, a way of like actually alluring people into a dialogue so that he could clear up uh, uh, this parable. But here, the Bible says that Christ speaks plainly. And he speaks plainly about his betrayal. He speaks plainly about his rejection. And he speaks plainly about his suffering and his death. Quite interesting after the man just opened a blind man's eyes. And I'm sure his disciples are all like, man, did you see that? That dude can see. Like he just, he took some dirty spit in it and he rubbed the guy's eyes opened. And now Jesus quickly transitions and starts talking about some not so glorious things about his life. And this is where we start picking up in verse 31. He being Jesus began to teach them, the disciples, that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days, rise again. And it's almost like the disciples may have lost that little disclosure that in three days, Christ will, you know, he, the grave won't hold him. He'll rise again. But it's almost like that just goes over a certain person's head, that person being Peter. And as we read on in 32, it says, and he, Jesus, said this plainly, meaning it is clear. There is no questions that are being asked. Jesus is clear in what he is presenting about his suffering and his death to his disciples. And then in verse 33, he says this, but then turning uh, and seeing his disciples, I'm sorry, I, I, I missed the second half of 32. So he, and he said this plainly in the second half of 32, it says, and Peter took him aside. Now this is interesting. And he corrected, or some translation says that he rebuked Jesus. Could you imagine 
the audacity. Uh, some of us probably can't wrap our minds around this. He's rebuking God the Son. <laughs> That's crazy to me. I mean, that could preach in and of itself. But he pulls Jesus aside. And it's not necessarily like in a back room somewhere. I mean, the disciples are seeing this as we look further into the text. But he pulls Jesus aside and he's like, hey, like, what's going on with this death suffering thing, Jesus? I mean, this just doesn't fit the protocol of what you're supposed to do. And he starts correcting Jesus. And, and then Jesus sees that his disciples, the other disciples, are taking notice in verse 33. And he rebukes Peter. And this is pretty hard hitting. Some say that he calls Peter Satan, but he's actually confronting uh, the devil in Satan. And he says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And this is where we're going to get into the sermon today. You see, I think Peter loved the concept of Jesus being the Christ, but he wasn't geeked. He wasn't so thrilled about the Messiah's mission, particularly the cross. And I can't help but some of us, we're in that tension as well, even though we're on the other side of the cross, right? But yet this time begs us to look, it begs us to pause. We just don't skip over it. We look at it, we, we think about it, we pray, we, we see what's in there for us to learn. But yet Peter is obviously, earlier in Mark, excited about Jesus. He's saying, Boldly, you are the Christ. Of course you are, Jesus. You just opened that man's eyes. But now Jesus talks about his suffering and his death. And Peter pulls him aside and says, hey, listen, I, I know I said you were the Christ. But what is this death and suffering business? Again, he likes the concept of Jesus being the Messiah, but he's not necessarily thrilled about the mission. Peter is thrilled about the movement, Right? Hear me. He's thrilled about blind eyes being opened. He's thrilled about sick people being healed. He's thrilled about the dead being raised. He's excited about the popularity and fame of Christ. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he was a Hebrew rock star. The dude was known, loved and admired, hated by many. But how many know you can be hated by many and loved by many? At the same time, I don't know how I'm, I'm asking for that stuff to happen with me. Lord. I want, I, I'm, I'm more hated than I am loved. I'm just like a good combination, Lord, would do good. But Jesus had that. He's, he is popular. He has influence. And here he is now talking about that influencing, that influence, excuse me, ending in a way. Now, first observation, the things of which Jesus talks to his disciples about his Rejection, his suffering, and his death should be good news. It's like, to us, this is the best news ever. We're like, thank you, Jesus. I mean, and, and to the disciples, this should be good news. The redemption of all creation, of all fallen creation, now redeemed in Christ Jesus in his death and resurrection. This should be good news, but for some reason, Peter's left rebuking him. It's <laughs> interesting. Now, conjecture here, okay? I'm not saying this is in the Bible, but it's my opinion that Peter was caught up in all the good and exciting things that were happening in Jesus' ministry. That excitement blinded him from the bigger picture of the Messiah's purpose to redeem all creation in his death. And that mixed with Satan's influence is dangerous. 
And that plays out in Peter's life. Jesus calls it out, rebukes him for it, right in front of the disciples. And if you thought him telling Peter the words, get thee behind me, Satan, was hard, you should wait till he gets really going uh, as we get into the passage because he's going to say some more hard-hitting things. I would say even more hard-hitting than what he just said to Peter in verse, I believe, 33. Now, this is where we want to go. There's something else at work in Peter's heart. Now, he's just not caught up with the nostalgia, I think I'm using that word right, um, of what's going on currently in Jesus' ministry. Like, he is in there. He probably at this moment in time believes, like a lot of Jesus' disciples and followers believe, is that Christ will come in and throw Rome out and restore their sovereignty. Why not? The guy's, after all, opening blind eyes and raising dead people. I mean, what could Rome do to him, right? I mean, if he's God, and, and, and every, I think, believer, most believers at this time is caught up in that narrative, right? It, it, they're, they're excited. It's like, oh, Jesus is going to go to war. He is going to give us our country back. Man, if that doesn't sound like America. I can't help but some of that Trump thing was like another like scene from like Jesus' days where like all the disgruntled Christians like, Trump, Trump, he's our man. You know, I, I'm sorry if you're for Trump. I'm just saying it was weird, right? It was weird. And, and some of, some of, some of Jesus' disciples are caught up in that mess. They're thinking, man, this is it. This is our time. Jesus is going to go at, at, at bat for us. And he, he's going to fight against Rome, kick their butts out, restore sovereignty, and, and establish his kingdom, his rule and reign here in Jerusalem. And we will reign with him. Remember, remember just short moments after this whole dialogue happens, th- there's a conversation of who's the greatest. They're already talking about who's going to be the best in Jesus' kingdom. right? They're like, man, who's going to sit at your right hand? Man, who's going to like rule with you like uh, you know, tell us here. So they're already like vibing for like placement in, in, in Jesus's new kingdom. And Jesus's new kingdom surely is going to come, but it's not going to come the way that they expected. So there's something else going on. And I believe in Peter's heart, and I believe Jesus gets to the root of it. And I don't believe he's just getting it to the root of it for Peter's sake. I think he's getting it uh, to the root of it for his disciples and the crowd that is around him. In verse 38, Jesus' little disclosure is going to say some pretty hard-hitting things. Children, if you're not ready for it, um, close your eyes and maybe block your ears. But it is in the word of God. It is read, therefore Jesus said it. So let's read it. And I'm just going to leave that there for you to do with it what you want. <laughs> I'm just trying to like, you know, make myself exempt here. This is Christ. And he says in verse 38, again, he's now just rebuked Peter. He's got his disciples with him. He's correcting the whole situation. And he's got the crowd. He's got his disciples. And he says this in verse 38 to the crowd and to the disciples. For whoever is ashamed of me in my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him. This is hot. This is like weighty, of him, of that person, the Son of Man, also will be ashamed of when he comes in the glory of his Father and with his holy angels. Now, this may seem at first glance a little bit displaced. Like, what are we talking about shame for, Jesus? I mean, you rebuked Satan and Peter? I mean, let's just get on with it. 
you know, and, and, you know you've, you've preached about the cross. What are we talking about? Shame or, or, or being embarrassed for the sake of the gospel. Well, it's very simple. I think this part of the gospel, meaning Jesus' suffering, his rejection and his death, is what mainly embarrassed someone like Peter. No, Jesus, this isn't the way it's supposed to happen. Like, like you're going you're gonna to rule, man. You're going to reign. Like, what are we talking about suffering and death now for? Let me, let me bring some correction to this. Can you imagine really correcting Jesus? But that's crazy. But yet here Peter is doing that very thing. And why? I believe it's because this part of the gospel, Peter's ashamed of. Really. I mean, we... And what I mean by that is the weakness and the humility that Christ, I mean, will display on the cross is a shameful act and, and an embarrassment to the disciples who are seeing miracles, signs, and wonders. And at this time, they probably think this is leading right to, right to a glorious scenario, Jesus, politically, and in, 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 in Jerusalem. And they're being told now that it's not, it's gonna, not going to end that way. Peter was embarrassed. That's my opinion. I believe it's not just mine, but it's why Jesus said what he said in verse 38. He's embarrassed and he was ashamed of this side of the gospel. Uh, the side that calls, as we'll discover, the followers of Christ to live selflessness, uh, to, to live sacrificial, selfless lives. Uh, the side that it's called uh, for every believer to lay down their life and pick up their cross is this those same words are actually found in the same chapter. Uh, now, I'm sure many, again, and I'm going to repeat myself. Actually, I won't do that, but I'll say this. The people's expectations of Christ were so high. Uh, again, he, he, was, he was a rock star. He, he, he was, I mean, if he had an Instagram account, my, my God, like Justin Bieber, get out of the way, right? I mean, he, he would, he, like many people hated him, but a lot of people loved him, respected him, and saw the value of his ministry. Saw him as a prophet, and, 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 and I'm just, you know, somewhat of a political figure as well. Although I don't think there was much of anything political about Jesus, but in their minds, it, it, it seemed as though, man, he could be our leader. He could be, he could be our emperor. He could be our king. And, and, and he will be a king. And he will rule and reign over the earth. But it's going to come via another way. Let me share a brief story. And Abram, I'm sorry, you seem to always be the, um, uh, the subject of my stories. Uh, my son Abram, about six months ago, I believe, I may have the time wrong, but he was um, part of this football team. He, it's foot flag football, but um, you know, he wants to play tackle. We're like, no, in the name of Jesus, but I think eventually it will happen. Um, but right now, he's playing flag, and about six months ago, he's part of this team, um, and, and he just had kind of a real interesting coach. Uh, I, I don't know any other way to say that other than he was interesting. He was really determined. He was really intense about uh, 10 to 11 year olds playing flag football for whatever reasons. I don't know. Maybe thought they were going to get a scholarship or something that, you know, potential to go to college or, or the NFL, but he was intense and, and he constructed this great little flag football team made of good players. 
And they were good. I mean, you watched them practice. You watched a couple of their games. You're like, oh, these guys are going to, they're going to be good. You know, they're going to really tear it up amongst 10 and 11 year olds. You know, they're going to, and, um, and it was true. They, they won a lot of games. They, they did really good, but they also lost some games, some more important games. And it was funny that every time, um, the, the, the team lost, the coach's anger and, and kind of his disgruntledness uh, seemed to just <laughs> manifest. It was just ugly. It was ugly. I mean, he would throw, swear, he would swear, he'd just go off the top. But man, if the team was winning, he was affirming and celebrating and you guys are the best. I, can't. He, I think he, one time he called them like their, his extended family. It was weird. Um, you know, their family when they win and they're, they're orphaned when they don't. It was that kind of thing. Um, but it was weird. And, and, you know, me and Beth just kind of went with it because it was like, you know, Abram's kind of intense about football. So maybe get him around some of this intensity and see if it rubs off. And, you know, he gets more passionate and vision. But it was weird. And the main thing is that the coach was for the team when the team was doing well against not necessarily for the team when the team wasn't doing well. And, and I can't help but think that Peter is similar. This is his dilemma. And I can't help but think that some of us are caught up in that same dilemma as well. When things are going well, when things are victorious, and it seems like the sun is shining on our lives, and we're on that mountaintop, and you know, uh, you know, life is good, relationships are good, the money's there, you know, it just seems like Jesus, you are the best, you are the Christ. <laughs> Come on, somebody. I'm sorry, I'm yelling. I, I do it all the time. It's it's weird. I know, um, but 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 we we get. Uh, uh, happy, right? It's easy to rejoice in Christ when things are well. It is another story to be for the team when things aren't so well, isn't it? And so what do we do in that tension? And and why does this matter? Well, let's turn, uh, well, not turn, just look at verses 34 and 37 in the same chapter. I've kind of skipped over it, but we're going to go there now and conclude with these thoughts that Jesus left his disciples because it's really the crux I mean this is why this matters this is why um, some of the things that I'm talking about is important to evaluate where we are in our own hearts in our own lives uh, with and, and, and this is what Jesus says in verse 34 in calling the crowd to him Jesus with his disciples he said to them if anyone would come after me let him deny himself and take up the cross and follow me For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's sake will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? You know what's so important? If Peter doesn't learn this, if he doesn't see this part of Jesus' mission as glorious as blind eyes opening and dead people being raised... He won't be able to do that. He, he won't be able to do verses 34 through 37. He won't, he won't be able to pick up his cross and follow Christ. And, and dare I say this, if we don't learn that, we won't either. I got a couple amens. Thank you, but I, I, I just, little disclosure, if we, if we can't learn the glorious truths and mysteries of the cross, 
then we aren't going to be good uh, believers who can not just rejoice when things are happy and go lucky and, 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 and things are going well. But when we kind of get in that low, hard place, man, we got to learn to take up our cross. You know what would have been more fitting for Peter to do in that moment? Is follow Christ. Is really just say, okay, I'm going to pick up my cross and I'm going to follow you. I'm going, to fall, I'm going to lay down my life. This isn't exactly what I thought things would be like. This is not necessarily the way I thought your kingdom would come. But nevertheless, you are the Christ. Where else is there to go? Didn't Peter say this? For you have the words of eternal life. So it's my opinion that if we can't see this part of Jesus' ministry and mission as glorious as all the other things that Jesus did while he walked the earth, we ourselves will have a hard time denying ourselves, picking up our cross, and following Christ. Does that make sense? Peter can't marvel at the sacrificial work of Christ displayed on the cross. Um, then, he, then he won't aspire to deny himself. He will, he will put himself first above God. And we saw that in Peter's life. This isn't the first time that Peter tried to impede, uh, you know, some of the things that were going you know, on in Christ's life. Like, let's talk about his arrest. What did Peter do? He hops out the knife and lops off the ear of the soldier coming to arrest Jesus. So if he, if he, if he can't learn... This glorious part of the gospel, he will not himself aspire. Any part of it, he won't want any part of it. If Peter can't marvel and see the worth of Christ's sacrificial work displayed on the cross, he will never faithfully follow Jesus and, and, and like Christ, lose his life for the sake of the gospel. Peter needs, we need, to see the preciousness in the power of the humility and the lowliness of Christ displayed here on the cross so we can therefore walk in the same manner. So we have this wonderful thing called Lent to do just that. <laughs> I don't know about you. I don't, I don't know if I would give much attention to this part of Jesus' story without Lent. I don't know if I would necessarily take time to think and even to preach if this would I mean man some of the things that pastors are preaching during this time of the year blow my mind it's like what, 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 what are we doing we're missing an opportunity but even as people we need to fully take advantage of Lent and, and, and fully absorb and take in the wonders of the cross